Well, good morning. Well, good morning. My name's Steve, and it is a joy and a pleasure and an honor to be here. And this room is beautiful, and the music is beautiful, the worship is incredible, it feels great in here, it looks beautiful. Can we just say thank you for just an incredible room and an incredible space and music and man, woo! I mean, for the body of Jesus, Jesus is looking good this morning. My name is Steve. That's been said. I'm from Robbinsdale. You might not know uh, Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Most people refer to Robbinsdale as the jewel of the Twin Cities. Is that, is that how you refer to it too? There's St. Paul, Minneapolis, and the jewel. I'm from the jewel. My wife and I, Heidi, uh, we've been married for about 12 years, almost 13, and we have three children. Uh, Trin is my nine-year-old, and Berlin is my seven-year-old, and Kyson is Heidi's four-year-old, and that's how we do that. Uh, I'm an associate pastor at Genesis Covenant Church. Genesis is a church plant. We're about a year and a half old. And how I got here uh, to be with you guys is kind of a cool story that in in many ways to me um, proves that God is real. And I'm going to attempt to tell that story just briefly. Uh, And at the first service I tried, I don't know how well it went, but about we're going to say 10 years ago, because pastors don't do well with math in general. Uh, every service is full. Okay, are you picking up what, what I'm leaving down? So essentially about 10 years ago, uh, there's a man named Steve Weens who's working at a church called Christ Presbyterian Church. Steve is on the committee to hire a new outreach pastor, right? Outreach pastor. And so Steve uh, helps choose Brad Jackson to come into Christ Presbyterian and serve as the outreach pastor. A couple years after that, Steve Weens leaves staff. Soon after that, Brad is uh, able to hire the new worship leader. He picks me when nobody else would pick me. A couple years after that, Brad leaves Christ Presbyterian, and we were all so sad, and we had, we had goodbye parties, and we ate lots of cake and drank lots of communion juice. Because he came down here to be with you all, and wasn't that incredible, and it was a celebration, and, and I stayed on at CPC. Uh, actually, I had, I, had, I had left as well. Eventually, Steve Weens, from all the way down at the beginning of the story, called me, this Steve, to help plant Genesis with him about a year and a half ago. And when Brad found out, and when you all found out that we were starting a covenant church in the cities, you went, yep. We're in to that, and you guys have supported us with time, with uh, guidance and mentorship, as well as incredible gifts of finances, and so really I am here just saying thank you so much. The difference that you have made in our life has absolutely changed the day, so thank you very much for all of your support and kind generosity to Genesis. Um, Brad did invite me to speak, and he, he oftentimes when you're a speaker and you're visiting, you're given a text, and I am a new speaker, and so Brad said, the whole Bible is yours. Whatever you would like to pick from, you can speak from. Um, and so at Genesis, we, uh, we go through the Revised Common Lectionary, and so I just stuck with that. And so at Genesis, this weekend, they're preaching on Christ the King Sunday, because that's what Sunday today is in the church year. And so that's what we're going to do. Today is Christ the King Sunday here at Crossview. And so what we're going to do is go into John 18, and we're going to look at what that means. But before we do, the context of the year, maybe 
if you're like me, you're new to this idea of the lectionary, you're new to this idea of the church year. We have the school year, we have seasons, sports seasons, but this is a church year, and Christ the King Sunday is the last day of the year. The idea being that we've gone through the whole year looking at the whole story of God, the whole trajectory of where grace is headed, where mercy is going to take us, and what love is going to create for us. And the last day we celebrate what will come eventually, which is Christ being king over the entire world. What we're going to find is that the way Christ is king is he is king from underneath because he is humble. He's a humble king, isn't he? But still, he is king and Lord of all. And so, Christ the king, Sunday is right next to, what's going to start next Sunday? What's going to start next Sunday? Advent. Which is the season where we pause and we notice that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And that instead of losing hope, losing joy, losing peace. No, in Advent, that's where we actually have faith to have those things because we celebrate Christ as King. Okay? Amen? All right. John 18. Uh, again, before we get quite there, uh, it's important to notice two things. One, uh, the authorship of John. Um, we think was John the disciple. He doesn't come out and name himself in the book. However, through the whole book, all the other 11 disciples are named by name. Okay, you got your James, you got your Matthew. But then there's the one disciple that Jesus loved. You love that? There's all these disciples named, and then the one he leaves out is John, but that's the one Jesus loved, is what's described in Scripture. So that's fun. It's funny. John also doesn't, isn't explicit in how he describes Jesus. He's, he, he's, he's expressive. He shows the character of Jesus as a person rather than just being the nuts and bolts. And so what that means is that in this story, which is a very important story, it's a very key story, we're going to just take it slow bit by bit and unpack what John has there to show us. Okay, so Jesus is born. He is a man. He starts his ministry. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane towards the end of his ministry. He knows what's coming. He doesn't maybe know what's going to happen specifically, but he's about to die. Judas comes in and gives him a kiss. And then that brings him to the religious leaders in the temple who then hand him over to Pilate. Pilate is the Roman authority uh, at this time, the highest ranking Roman authority in Jerusalem for this weekend. And so this conversation that we're going to enter into is between Pilate and Jesus in this moment of his life. The other thing I'll say is that I would much, uh, I'm, I'm a conversationalist, if you haven't noticed already. <laughs> Uh, and so just, just notice that that's, that's just my, my style a little bit. So I'm, I'm just like, what do you guys think? And you can't really answer, but do, but, but don't. Okay, thank you. John 18, verse 32. This was so that the word of Jesus might come true when he had indicated what sort of death he was going to die. So he's setting up what's about to happen. Here's how we're going to frame this, John says, is what happens next, you should be able to find the context for in Jesus' life. And, and basically what that's saying is Jesus indicated he was going to die. And is that because he's showing that he's a fortune teller? Are we supposed to somehow lift up this idea that Jesus knows the future? No, I think it's more what John is saying is look at how Jesus actually lived. He actually lived with love and grace. He actually lived with forgiveness. He actually had conversations with his enemies as if he cared for them. And so John is saying, if you notice that, Jesus predicted he would die because that's what happens when you live like that. 
Okay, so John's saying, look, this is just a natural progression that we find Jesus in front of Pilate. Uh, Verse 33, here we go. Here's the first action shot. Pilate went back into the praetorium and spoke to Jesus. Uh, Are you the king of the Jews, Pilate says. Now, before we get to Pilate actually talking to Jesus, right, John is showing us so much. Pilate's moving. He's in movement towards Jesus. Now, in any other scenario... What happens when you're, when you're the accused? You come into the judge, right? The judge is maybe seated. You come into the judge. And, and no, this isn't the case because what Pilate had to do is go outside the praetorium. He had to walk out to talk to the Jewish mob. The reason being is we are hours away from the greatest Jewish festival of the year, Passover. And so what that means is that if the Jews walk into a Gentile's place of residence, their home, They become defiled. It's a very serious thing. You can't celebrate Passover if you're defiled. Now, I think it's interesting because what they're doing is begging for the death of an innocent man. If anything defiles you, it's asking for an innocent man's blood, right? They're saying, kill this man. What's he done? Doesn't matter. He's really done nothing, but kill him anyway. But we won't set foot in a Gentile's home so we can celebrate Passover. It's comical. It's comical. Okay, back to the praetorium. Pilate's asking Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And we're speculating a little bit, but but mostly Pilate's probably mocking Jesus to his face while he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with the situation. He walks into Jesus. Where's Jesus' weapons? Jesus has no weapons. Where where are his troops? If Jesus is a king, where are the people who's going to fight for him? Every king needs people to die for him. So where are those people? Pilate's looking at Jesus, where are your resources? Where is your kingdom? Every king must have a kingdom. I've never heard of you. The reality is Pilate knows Jesus isn't a threat. And Jesus knows that Pilate doesn't respect Jesus as a threat. And so what Jesus is able to do is take a moment. This is beautiful. Pilate's coming in, asks a legitimate question. And what Jesus does is he says, are you asking that question? Or did you hear somebody else talking about me? And the reason why I like that is because if I were in that situation where I had lived a perfect life, <laughs> so, so I've never been in that situation, uh, first of all, but, but if I were in this situation with Pilate coming at me saying, is everything that everybody else, what they say about you, is it true? And if it was, I would just be resigned to the fact that I'm about to die. What good would it be to argue with Pilate, who isn't in my faith, who isn't part of my community, who doesn't actually care about me? And what Jesus says, he says, no. Are you seeking? Are, Are you actually wondering if I'm king? Or are you just talking? What Jesus is saying, are you a seeker or are you a cynic? Are you actually looking for me? And if so, Jesus would have had the conversation with Pilate right there. If Pilate would have been ready to receive the, the, the Son of God right here in my praetorium? I don't even know what a praetorium is. What, what would have been changed about history? What would have changed if Pilate would have understood that his question was a real question and that he really was the king? And so Jesus says, was that your idea? I believe Jesus is that way for me in my moments of 
um, wane. Is this, is this you, Jesus? Is this not you? And sometimes we make those decisions well, and sometimes we just blow right past the king and do things our own way. I have plenty of those stories. I mean, I'm a parent, okay? How many times have I blown right past the king and done things my own way? But I think that still Jesus gives us the pause to go, if you really want to find me, even as hopeless as it might seem, if you really want to find me, I'm right here. Isn't that cool? God is good, amen? Okay, so we want to be seekers and not cynics. But sadly, Pilate is a cynic, and he re- responds, he retorts to Jesus, question of, are you asking or are you just talking? Pilate goes, what? Am I a Jew? Verse 35, I'm not a Jew, am I? Retorted Pilate. Your own people, the chief priests, have handed you over to me, so what have you done? Pilate is being very dramatic and very immature here, in my opinion. Uh, of course he's not a Jew. He's keeping Jesus at arm's length. He's, he's keeping him out here. He's keeping the conversation from getting personal, from getting real. And it's interesting that blame is always in that picture. Whenever we don't want to go there, wherever there is with somebody, there's blame that starts to come out. So Pilate goes, it's, I, I'm not part of this story. You're not in trouble because of me. You're in trouble because they handed you over to me. And what John wants us to see here, I think, is, is this idea of handing Jesus over and, and, and why that's interesting. See, when Judas was in the garden and kissed Jesus, Judas hands Jesus over to the religious authorities as if Jesus doesn't have any choice in it. And then the religious authorities, they, they press him, they accuse him, they run him through the ringer, and then they decide, okay, he, he, let's bring him to the next step. And they hand Jesus over to Pilate. Eventually, Pilate's going to hand Jesus back over to the religious authorities to be crucified. And it's going to go all the way to the cross. And we're going to, we're just, oh, Jesus. Like a lamb... Led to the slaughter. He, he had no choice. He was defenseless. But then right at the last minute in John 19, John portrays Jesus on the cross. He portrays Jesus in his final hour when we think, good grief, give it up. And Jesus looks around and he says, Father, it's finished now. Now's the time when the work is done. And John says, then he gave his own breath and his own spirit back to God, showing that the whole time, nobody was in control of Jesus. We might think we can define who Jesus is. We might think that this group who's really loud says Jesus is this way, and maybe, maybe they're right, and can we know? Or maybe this group over here says Jesus is this way, but regardless, Jesus is who he is, and when it's time to be done, Jesus says it's done then. Amen? Okay, I'm just having so much fun. Um, wasn't ready to turn that page. Let's see, we're still here. I'm not a Jew, am I a retorted pilot? Jesus uh, is in control. Okay. Verse, the, the next verse, verse 36, uh, Jesus has to figure out what to do with Pilate. How is he going to respond? In this, in this tension. And, 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 and so Pilate is asking him, what have you done and why are you here? This isn't my fault. 
Here's what Jesus says in verse 36. Well, here's why I'm here. It's because my kingdom isn't the sort that grows in this world. Jesus says, if my kingdom were from this world, my followers would have fought to stop me from being handed over to the Jews. So then my kingdom is not the sort that comes from here. And this is, this is really one of the clearest pictures that we have of what the kingdom of God is actually like. Jesus talks often about the kingdom, but, but this, is, this is rich. Because it, doesn't it come down to conflict? Doesn't it come down to tension? And what Jesus is saying is the way that you know where my kingdom comes from is my followers will not fight to prevent me from laying down my life. Because this is the kind of kingdom that I bring. The problem is that because Jesus is still talking about kingdom, he's using this kingdom language that Pilate really understands. And even though Jesus says, my kingdom isn't from here, in essence saying, I'm not a threat to you. If my kingdom comes, you will still get to be Pilate. If my kingdom comes, it's not going to hurt you. But Pilate completely misses it. Uh, He says, so, Pilate says, you are a king then. What? Uh, my daughter is nine, Trin, and, and she, her, her latest phrase yesterday, she used it on me yesterday for the, the, the first time, and I, it blew my mind, but she goes, Dad, from zero to ten, you're missing it 100%. <laughs> That's Pilate. From zero to ten, he's missing it 100%. And so obviously Pilate is not going to listen uh, to what Jesus has to say, and in his mind, instead, he's already jumping forward to how he's going to use this kingdom language to really stick it to the Jews in a way that he's going to feel good about himself. In, in 19, chapter 19 of John, uh, so we, we're fast forwarding into the story a little bit, uh, which is kind of unfair, but we're going to jump into when Jesus is brought to the cross. When Pilate uh, saw this, he brought Jesus out uh, and, and, and he said, here is your king. This is almost to where he starts walking uh, to the cross, but it, it's not yet. Pilate said, here's your king. Do you want him? And, they, and the people shouted, take him away and crucify him. And Pilate pauses so sadistically, so evil, he goes, wait. You're sure you want me to crucify your king? And they say, crucify him. He got a whole nation to ask for their king to be crucified. Now, both the people and Pilate thought it was more ironic than anything. They thought this is all a game, this is all mockery, that really the battle was between the Jews and the Romans, and Jesus was a pawn. And that's why it's heartbreaking, is because Jesus is the king, and he really was laying down his life for all of creation in that moment. So Pilate puts up the sign, and we read on, uh, Pilate had a, had, a, had a notice prepared to put on the top of the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, which many of the Jews read this sign, because it was in a place where, where everybody could see it, and in verse 21 to 19, it says, the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but only that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, nope, not going to change it. Just kind of solidifying that this isn't about Jesus. This is about, this is about violence. This is about power. And this is about whoever can get what they can get. So while Jesus is carrying the cross through the streets, doing the very real work of redemption, people are making it still about them and what they want. Okay, Jesus says, you're the one who's calling me king. 
So, so Pilate had just said, so you are a king, because you're talking about your kingdom. So you are a king. And Jesus says, okay, look, you're the one calling me a king, but I'll tell you this in verse 37. Jesus says, I was born for this. I've come into the world for this to give evidence about the truth. I was born for this. Jesus points to his humanity. Look, I was born to bring truth into the world. Okay, you're a human, Jesus. You're a man. You were born. And then he says, but I came into the world for this. He's saying both. So he existed before he was born. Jesus is saying, I've been here. I know this story. The, the, the word come, I have come into this world. The Greek is erkomai. Everybody say erkomai. Erkomai. Everybody say erkomai. This is so fun. That was my first Greek word that I've ever used in a, in a message. How have I done so far? I haven't told you what it means yet, but you said it, didn't you? Erkomai. It means to appear and come before the public to establish as a place of influence, to become established and to become known. So Jesus is saying, I have come to bear witness. To bear witness is a Greek word, martyreo. Everybody say martyreo. That was a little bit better than the other one, Erkomai. Martyreo is to bear witness, which means to affirm that you have seen or heard or experienced something. So what Jesus is saying is, I have come, and I'm not just passing through. I'm coming to stay. What I am bringing is coming to be established here, and it's not going to be torn down. And what I'm establishing is the truth. What is the truth? The truth is that this story that we are living in has been going on for a very long time. John says that Jesus was the word, and the word was in the beginning, meaning that in Genesis, when God says anything, what he's saying is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is what brings everything together. He is king, not because he is above everything, but because he is underneath everything, holding all of it. He is Lord. And so Jesus says, I'm going to testify to that, and it's never going to go away. Well, that doesn't go very well for Jesus, obviously. But that is why he came. That is what he's going to do. And that's what Jesus is still doing, is bringing his kingdom to this earth. And so we find, when Jesus is on the cross, lifted up in the pain of what he is lifted up in, if we don't look at the horror of it, which it's so hard to miss, if we don't look at, the, at, at, the, at the, what they did to Jesus, instead look at his eyes. In your mind's eye, look at Jesus' eyes and see what Jesus is doing and how he is doing it. That he is in the conflict of his life. He's in the tension place of his life. And instead of choosing to prove who he is, in a way that he doesn't have to die, he submits to the violence of it, to the evil of it, and he says love is stronger than that, right? And he proves it. Well, I, uh, I have completely, um, well, 37, I've completely forgotten to finish here, so we'll finish, Brad will finish. Uh, turn to verse 37 at the end. Everyone who belongs to this truth, Jesus said, the truth of the kingdom that I am bringing, everyone who belongs to this truth listens to my voice. 
Jesus makes it true. And here's how I found that in my own life, right? Can you hear Jesus? Can, does he talk to you? I, I think that what Jesus is saying is that as we go through the suffering and as we submit to what we have to submit to as people who believe that love is the greatest, as we do that, we will find out how Jesus is king. And so just a quick story to illustrate that. About a year and a half ago, two years ago, is really when I started to understand what this was, how Christ is king in my own life. And what I'll say is that I was driving home from work one Sunday and just feeling sorry for myself, you know, like you do after church. And uh, just, you know, why are things so hard for me? And uh, I started saying things out loud. I, I, I talk out loud when I'm alone, uh, when I pray, because I think that it helps my body kind of understand what my spirit is saying. It's really weird, but try it sometime. Uh, don't let anybody see you. And so I'm talking to God, and I'm saying, God, I don't know how good you are. If, the tr- you know, if, if I was pressed today and you know, was, was asked, how has God been good to you in the past week? I'd have to say, I, um, well, where does God start and where do I end? You know, I'm the one who's going to work. I'm the one who's... You know, I, and we're the ones who are, and so I, how are you good to me, God? And if you're not good to me, why not? Because everybody says that you are. And so I started having this conversation, and, the, the, and God came into the car somehow. I don't know how, but the reason why I knew is because I started weeping. And I'm not a crier, you guys. But since this moment, I've started crying all the time. I started weeping and the ugly kind of weeping where there's snot coming out of everywhere and you're looking for Kleenexes and you grab your daughter's like sweater and you're like, you know, and it's like, sorry. And I'm bringing my complaints to God, feeling like I'm unloved and feeling like God doesn't care about me. And what I heard God encourage me to do was this. Because I was saying things like, God, if you lived here, if I could find you, if I could see you, I would... I would do everything for you. Like Jesus did for us, I would do for you, God. And what God said is, you go home to your wife, to your friends, and you love her and your kids and your friends the way you say you would love me if I were here. To which, I'm a firstborn, I said, you bet, easy. And I went home and I took one look at Heidi and I went, oh, I mean, Heidi's great. She's a good person. She ain't no Jesus. Okay? (laughs) Let's be honest here. I was going to have to love a sinner in my own home the way I would love Jesus? I failed right away. But as I begin to practice that, as I begin to work at that, the truth is I did understand how I could love God by loving Heidi and by loving other people. The other gift, the bigger gift that came was I understood how God loved me. I understood that I was hiding in the situation and that God was loving me as if I was Christ, as if there wasn't anything wrong with me, as if I didn't didn't have anything broken inside of me. That's how God sees us. And it's only until we practice the love for other people that we understand, that's how God sees us. And then we understand Jesus is king of all and nothing happens without Jesus wanting it to. Nothing happens without Jesus coming back to fix it soon. Amen? Father, thank you so much for being good. Thank you so much for loving us no matter what happens. Jesus, thank you for being king. Thank you for being king since the beginning of time and for coming to show us what that means. Thank you, Lord, for 
giving us the time, even in the middle of our tension, to stop and say, if you really want to know, I'll tell you. Lord, give us the kind of faith that it takes. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.